hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Khan listens to the show, and if you don't know, you will soon. Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Forrest. With me, as always, is Fred. Despite all my rage, it's Big Bill and Brian Cage Moreland. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. You know, if we're going to book a rampage, I think we should at least get a little, you know, something something thrown our way. You mean collision? But, yeah, collision, yeah. the the. We, the I mean, we booked one match on rampage, technically, I guess. Still, but, you know, I'll take just like a... Let's just take one big bill. <laughs> that that was very good, Fred. That was Thank very good. Let's you. speaking of, let's talk about all in. And all in is a, a very interesting spot. There's been a lot of discussion about it, how the build has been, if it's been good or bad. Because going into last night's dynamites, and we record this Thursday mornings, there was one match officially announced. There were a couple matches already alluded to. One of them being CM Punk's Mojo. One of them being Young Bucks FTR. But we didn't have anything concrete. Well, it hasn't mattered much for ticket sales because they have officially surpassed SummerSlam of 1992. And they are this close to surpassing 80,000 tickets distributed, according to WrestleTix. The setup is now for over 84,000. So kind of what they're doing is with most of the stadium already filled, they're just releasing like the upper deck sections. So then if they fill it up, then they just go and open a new one. And instead of just having a lot of people scattered throughout every available section, you can at least tarp off or put designs or something where you don't necessarily have those sections open. But based on the returns from after announcing a couple matches, they have seen a good spike because the last time we talked, Fred, the setup was for less than 80,000 people. So they've sold some tickets. Yeah, they're, uh, they're moving them. Uh, and I mean, it's amazing that the show is still, uh, still growing in attendance. I mean, the numbers are so high at this point that, uh, it's hard to imagine them going higher, and yet they are. Uh, this really is going to be a special event, and uh, we finally, you know, I think there's a lot of fair criticism because, uh, you know, it's kind of silly that it took so long to confirm it was on pay-per-view rather than, I don't know, Max or, I don't know, being broadcast across the sky by a platoon of, you know, satellites that have taken over the atmosphere and have doomed humanity while we watch Big Bill body slam someone, which is a superior way to go out, I think, than others. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a very impressive. It's they caught lightning in a bottle here, and uh, those are some crazy numbers that they have. Very crazy numbers, but let's get specifically with this build because I think big we build. can start. Oh, very big build. We're going to get to that. Don't you worry. Uh, it's it's very interesting here. This past Wednesday on Dynamite, they made Young Bucks versus FTR three official for All In. They, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, they made it official. AR Fox and Sword of Strickland versus Darby Allen and Sting in a coffin match. That oh, I missed the coffin match part. Yeah, co- the coffin match. Do you, do you? Okay, my question is: uh, Do you do t- two coffins, or you do do you do an extra large coffin so that they can, you know? Honestly, you know, know what I would do? I would do three coffins, and elimination style. Okay. So, if if you get thrown in a coffin, you're out. But it doesn't officially on the match. Cause like I, I remember one of the first tables match I ever watched was um, the Dudley boys versus Ric Flair and Batista from Royal rumble. Oh, four. And one guy goes to a table. That's the end of the match. I, I feel like it should be elimination style. And I think that could be a really cool. Additive. I think that works better for, for tables than for, uh, for caskets though, but that's just me. Anyways, kind of silly thing to get hung up on. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a silly thing to get held up on. And the most interesting part of this build isn't even for the pay per view itself, which this sent up a lot of red flags for me, Fred. MJF and Adam Cole challenging for the ROH titles on, on the zero hour. Against Aussie Open. Now, that match hasn't been made 100% official yet. But, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable saying that match is going to happen. You know what that tells me? Angle, 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 Mm. angle to sell that show. And, look. It's brilliant. I mean, that's assuming they pull the trigger and do the right stuff, that's actually a really smart way to handle it. Yes. I think it is a smart way to handle it. And I, I'm really excited to kind of see um, how this kind of plays out. It, I, I genuinely wonder if there is some business metrics that Tony Khan and Mookie going to have that they don't have to worry about, or like, sorry, these late pushes for mm-hmm. all these pay-per-views is worthwhile. I forget if I've heard that's either like their working theory that they have data for, or if, like they've outright come, they've come out and said that uh, either Tony Khan or like, I don't know the Harrington does a lot of media, but you know, someone from AEW has actually said that out loud. Um, I do not remember it well enough, but um, yeah. Um, I think it's obvious that's like a major part of their strategy, though. Now, I think that uh, I really do think they suffered from the compressed schedule of this summer with Blood and Guts mm-hmm. being when it was and everything. Like, that kind of backfired on them. Uh, 
But, you know, I think that they're, it's also going to be okay at the same time. Um, I do think it would be preferable if they had done more of, like, doing a big build for the show, for, like, the top matches, other than Cole and MJF, which they've been building for a long time. But, like, you know, uh, it's presumed that we're going to get Punk and Samoa Joe. And uh, that feels very odd, actually, now, after the booking of the Owen tournament and everything. And, um, you know, Bucks and FTR, I mean, obviously, they have a long history together uh, across companies and everything where that works. But, you know, it would have been nice if instead of, you know, starting it this past week, they started it three weeks ago. Uh, If they just at least started, like, hinting at it in promos or something. Um, Instead of just kind of turning it on all of a sudden with the FTR challenge. Like, if they had at least thrown in a a couple barbs or something and different promos they were doing up to that point would have been preferable, I think. But, you know, I I don't think it's, like, a disaster. Uh, I I just, you know, I I would personally like to have these builds start, like, two weeks sooner for most of the stuff. But it feels like this is the way for every AEW pay-per-view. And they didn't shift it for this massive show. And... I assume that the business metrics will be solid, you know, at a minimum. I think they could actually, you know, my theory, my working theory is still that baby facing MJF is going to do massive business. Um, And I think that they could, I'm not going to say that they won't set a pay-per-view record basically is what I'm doing here. Uh, I don't know that I feel confident enough to predict that as their definite biggest pay-per-view buy rate. Or, or by number, I should say, not by rate, because that's different. Uh, but I would not be shocked by it either. Yeah, it's... The one thing that is going to be really curious is how this n- number ends up shaking up, because they didn't start talking about this show, and this is a Tony Khan thing, and we can debate the merits of it until the end of the year. Sure. Not promoting a future show when he hasn't finished what he's already doing. It's and, almost New Japanish. Yeah, it's like it's a little and, different how he approaches it, but still. For those who don't know, New Japan doesn't like promote matches, even though they're like known. Like Tetsuya Naito wins the G One, he's going to the Tokyo Dome. They don't promote that match until they make it official, and they uh, make the card like one hundred percent. I personally prefer the the kind of the old school Ring of Honor strategy of saying, you know, we're doing these two shows and on the second show, the world champion is defending against either X or Y or the challenger is getting a title shot at whoever wins on the first night. I think that works better. Or you can do like, hey, they're going to face this person. And if this person has the title, it's going to be for the title. Yeah, that's an alternative. You leave leave the ambiguity up. But I, I don't really care for that one that much because there's... Like, oh, you're going to, like, kind of promote a world title shot. Well, then the guy doesn't get the world title shot. It, it, it's a weird, weird Yeah, that deal. one's a little, not my favorite, but it, it, it can work depending on how you spin it, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely can work. But if this show does a buy rate of the CM Punk all out in 2021. Hits my head. Yeah, it's. It's going to be really difficult to argue, but there's always going to be that that little devil on your shoulder that says, well, if they would have started doing this promotion earlier and started talking about it like the big deal it was, 
with more gusto without even having to book a match, then maybe you could have done even better business. But we don't have those insider metrics, so we can only go based off what we know. And it's they got to know something. It, there, there's a reason why they're doing it this way. Yeah. Um, I personally, like, I, I think that they could have, you know, uh, had something away from BCC and the Elite announced, you know, before Blood and Guts. Maybe not MGF Cole, since they were still doing some intrigue as to the world title and everything. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like we're kind of getting to the point of being a touch nitpicky about it, I guess. Uh, but I, I do, you know, this is a, a case where like a b testing would be perfect right where Mm -hmm. you know one pay-per-view you do the strategy and then the next one you do the the you know what well announced ahead of time strategy and i think that's what they did with the the pre-show where it used to just be matches 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 and then they went to the wwe style one match and you basically had renee paquette and rj city talking and promoting the show with video packages and they did that for a couple pay-per-view cycles Look, it, that shit ain't for me. But yeah, I hope I, I will repeat what I said before that if uh, if that does work better than capitalism has failed, just I, I stand by that take. <laughs> this this is somehow uh, Benito Mussolini's fault. I don't know how yet. It, it is his fault. So we're oh, going to leave boy. it at that. Um, it, we'll we're going to have more about this show as things kind of progress moving forward. And we'll see how things end up going. Um, let's get to some other news because we have a lot to talk about as uh, as we continue talking about where the state of his company right now. Um, Pac is hurt. Yes. Um, announced on Rampage. Shivani said he'd be out a while. And this was announced during the part at the beginning of the parking lot brawl, which I thought was really important because the winners were going to take on the Lucha Brothers. And we'll get to that match because there's there's some interesting elements as we try to project moving forward, especially some frustration with AEW production. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he's hurt. Sucks that he's hurt for Wembley. Um, but we don't really know how he's hurt, I don't think. I don't think that part's been released, just that he's out a while. Yeah. Well, the, the way Tony Schiavone announced it on Rampage, it was like it was for a long while. Uh, so not great. Um no, I, I hate to hear that because Pac rules, but maybe he'll come back sometime soon. I could only hope. Uh, and, he, and he literally just came back, which is yeah more frustrating. That, yeah, that's just uh, as a viewer, like just being completely selfish. It's quite frustrating. But I, I, I always feel bad when anybody gets injured, but I feel worse for those who get injured right after they come back from injury. Like yeah. uh, when Daniel Bryan at the end of his first WWE run, like it, it's just. Man, that just sucks. Yeah, yeah. Or, it's, or it's, Yoshihashi it's running to the ring and falling underneath it, like just. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's continue talking. Kip Sabian and Dark Order have signed three years extensions. Um, an unconfirmed story Meltzer uh, mentions is that the Elite signed for four, and we had kind of thought the Elite were gonna had signed for four. That was our conjecture for the sole fact that their first contracts were four years and it just okay four more years it makes sense and especially with the the evp angle it's you're not just signing them to be wrestlers you're signing them as also executives in the company which as we found out with matt jackson talking about unions 
the other day. Uh, it's a little more complicated. So, look, I don't know. Kip Sabian does absolutely nothing for me. I don't understand how he does business, but I'll tell you. He's at least credible enough where you can beat him like a drum. Yeah, I, I will give him credit in that he is capable. He, he's solid. Um, I don't really want to see him much on TV just because I don't think he's a really exciting or dynamic worker or anything. But he, you know, in that uh, Hardy's trios match with Keith Lee, he did a capable job in there. Um, I would say he was not in the three best workers in the ring. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to rank him against the Hardys, who we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, he did okay. You know, that's kind of, he he did, you know, he he sacrificed through the pandemic to be around, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's AEW for life off that. Um, you know, uh good for him you know he was a good soldier and he gets rewarded for it and that's frankly how it should work i think yes i agree and being a good soldier is is important um Meltzer, skill. <laughs> yeah Meltzer talks injuries in, i believe this is from the last observer it was um brian danielson probably out until october but there's a potential you can make grand slam Jamie Hader's out until February. That one hurts. Mm-hmm. And on Thunder Rosa update, she will miss all in. And as we saw from the the four uh, the women's four way match, which they made a really big deal about on t- on television. <laughs> the, the 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 storied history of the four way women's title match in AEW. Just just say that like. Yeah, you have this storied four-way. But at the end of the day, you know what's more important? Like, Just say, you know what? The f- the first women's match at All In was a four-way, and we're just going to do a four-way. Don't give me this storied history stuff, making it sound like four-ways or this. It's like this pillar of AEW women's wrestling. It's not. Like, Just say, hey, the first women's match at All In was a four-way, and we're, we're going to do a four-way here. And, yeah, that's good enough for me. And that's good enough, and you're not blowing smoke up anyone's butt. You're just yeah. saying what's real. And it's obvious what the match is going to be based on the competitors. It's going to be Soraya. It's going to be Tony Storm. It's going to be Hikaru Shida. It's going to be Britt Baker. That it's match has potential to be very good. Um, yeah. Mercedes Martinez is mad as I, I have collision on the background. At, dude, her shoulders got popped up, and they didn't call it like a shoot. Yeah, and she's pissed. Yeah, that was a weird finish in a weird match. Yeah. Oh, Diamante, I forgot she's still in this company. Yeah, that was kind of a cool return, I guess. Since we'll talk about this now, uh, you know, I'm not. I, I do think that the depth of AEW in terms of like name value kind of outpaces their lack of depth and t- talent because both Mercedes Martinez and Diamante are solid workers. They're good. Um, I'm not going to say they're great, but you know, they can put on like three and a half star matches at a high, you know, uh, at the higher end, you know, maybe dip up to four if it's particularly great. Uh, so I think using them more as, you know, viable people in the division is beneficial to the company, especially with two major shows. Yeah. I think the, the two major shows really, really makes a difference. And yeah, this is, 
it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But uh, let's get through the news because we have a lot to talk about, including in terms the of first shows, ever yeah. the first ever good bad hungry offer match. And <laughs> let, Wardlow did a panel at Terrificon. Is is that the board game convention? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's some stuff I'm not aware of. I, I you could have you, you could do a quiz next week with like these these con names, and I would probably get less than half of them right if I were to ask them identify if they're real or fake. Yeah, well, I asked because there was one a con in Indianapolis this past weekend that was a board game convention. Yeah. I had a, a friend of mine from high school who ended up going to that with her husband, so that that's why I asked the question. Um, yeah. it it's it looks fine. Um, yeah, so that is that's the news. Not a whole lot. Now, Fred, we have a lot of directions that we can go with this show. Oh, I have one more news nugget I just got right now, and I am sorry Ooh. for just fighting this. Uh, from last week's Observer, apparently Sportico, the site we all know and love, and I've definitely heard of before. Um, they yeah, did they, a story. they cover like they cover like the business end of sports, like ratings and that kind of stuff. I've I've consulted with them on a few pieces okay, over cool. the course of time. It, I haven't heard legit. of them before. That's just me. Um, they did a story saying that they talked with some people, uh, some bankers that said that if AEW is put up for sale, they'd go for more than a million dollars. Or I'm sorry, a billion with a B. Misspoke there pretty badly uh, today. So Yeah, so th- that sounds about right considering you have all the intellectual property. You got to figure the tape mm-hmm. library of just the AEW ROH that Tony Khan has assembled, that's probably in the realm of, I don't know, that's probably like at least $50 million right there just for the tape library. And then you mm-hmm. have all the all the ring equipment, all the sets, and then you basically take what what you're worth right now and you and you and like their your total revenue and you do like a it's I think it's 1.5 times total revenue. So yeah, I think over a billion dollars makes sense. I would guess if they were to actually sell, which I don't think they would, it would probably be for closer to two billion, considering what they're about to get for a television deal. And I think that yeah. would be a big part of the sale. Uh, but what did WWE go for? Like seven billion? Something like that. I forget the exact number right now. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Samoa Joe just squashed your Penico in literally 10 seconds. Yeah, it was like 25 or something. It was great. Um, no, it, 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 they didn't even get to 20. He, Sir Penico ran at him. He kicked him, put him in the Coquina yeah. clutch, and that was it. Yeah. Uh, one other thing is that uh, Buddy Matthews' shoulder actually was dislocated in that uh, ladder match with Andrade. Oh, we um, thought it was. That, yeah. Like, we saw, um, was it Doc Samson pull it in? Yeah. Like. Yep. Um, it, it, he was able, apparently, to get it back in socket. And, I mean, he works the trios match the next week, so. Seems to be all right. Yeah. And that's objectively good. Okay. Now, let's Fred, talk about the shows. Yes. Where do you want to go first? There's a lot to talk about here, and it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, which is my favorite part. Let's start. Let's talk about the one time in the past month that Rampage became mandatory viewing, which yes. was for uh, that excellent. Uh, I thought it was really great. The parking lot brawl between uh, Mox and Claudio and the best friends. Okay, I have to start out here because 
this is where this company sets themselves apart from other companies. You have Mox and Claudio getting to the parking lot first. And what do they do? They're opening up every trunk to make sure Orange Cassidy's not hiding because he hid in the first parking lot brawl and jumped out of Proud and Powerful, and it ended up being a turning point in the match. Knowing your history, and it's one of those things that, you know what, as a casual viewer, and we talk about casual fans, it's kind of a um, it's kind of a myth. It's kind of like it's it's a monolith. Like it just they, they exist, but they really don't. And the way that they're using conversation is as a straw man to try to do you know make the company you don't like look bad. Essentially, yes, I think it's how it's a lot of the time it's used. But I'll say this: that was great for those and who it was, know. It, it was, was a phenomenal well too. Touch. For those who didn't, yeah, they explained it well. Great stuff. And then you had the plunder king himself, Chuck Taylor, and Trent Beretta. Look, these guys busted their ass. And one of my favorite parts of the – there are two favorite parts of the match. One, Wheeler Yuta pops out of the Suburban like Orange Cassidy did in the first one. So not only did they look to make sure Orange Cassidy wasn't doing it, then they did it themselves. Plus, we have to talk about Sue. I thought yeah. the inclusion of Sue was great. And she's just an NPC. For those who don't do like uh, a lot of video and board games, it's a non- non-played character. It's just there. It exists. It's it's like like those people you walk up to in Pokemon and then they just tell you things about the game. Yeah. But she's Trent's mom, Trent's little goober. And she pulls up in her van. Claudio tells her to get out and he rips the door off the hinges. Like, Okay, yeah. like we've seen Sue. She's been used on the show before. Some people hated it, and I kind of understand it, but I think it's it's just a nice little simple touch. You don't like it doesn't hurt, I don't think. It's cohesive, it fits with Beretta's character. And if you think it sucks with Beretta's character, that's fine. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. But it works. And to me, I think that's what's important. It works, it was fun. And they utilized it well within the context of what this was. And and she, I think, if I remember correctly, she drove up Orange Cassidy. Which, there's That's your correct, yeah. there's your Orange Cassidy bit. Because, yeah, she's done that before. So, I liked that. I gave this match four and a half. Like, this, this was some of the most fun I've had watching pro wrestling in a long time. I've been feeling some burnout lately. We were talking yeah. about that in pre-show. This was great. They beat the living crap out of each other. And they did. It was, it was brutal. Um, I, you could argue that maybe, you know, especially if they're heading towards like some kind of match involving Moxley and Orange Cassidy on opposite sides, that maybe they should have had OC look a little better coming out of this just to help set that up better. But, you know, I mean, you could also just have them be fired up and want to get revenge and everything. Um, I don't think that matters. I mean, look at the Blackpool Combat Club, how many times they beat the crap out of the elite. Like, yeah. it, I think there's merit to what you're saying. I also don't think it matters at all. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it's a big deal, at least. Uh, you know, maybe just personal preference there. Um, but also, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can argue the other way. I love this match, though. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was the best AEW match of the week. I went four and a half on it, 
And um, I thought it was uh, honestly the only reason to watch Rampage this week. Um, outside of uh, uh, the, the Big Bill and uh, Brian Cage promo was good. Uh, we're dangerously close to just becoming Marks at this point, but I liked it a lot. So, yeah, I have no regrets on saying that. <laughs> no, let let's talk about let's transition over to um, Brian Cage and Big Bill. Yes, Listen, th- this was the best match of the week. You you can talk about Osprey Okada. You can talk about Tanahashi Naito. It was Big Bill Brian Cage versus FTR. This is the good, bad, and hungry offer match. Yes. They, Tony Khan has listened to us. They, they gave Big Bill and Brian Cage a title shot. They're working cohesively. They have a potential superstar in Big Bill, and we've talked about it here before. And now, Fred, you are finally on board. Well, you know, I wouldn't say that I wasn't on board before, but this was like I, the the thing that struck me the most as I was watching this match was that this is like I, I you know maybe he'll get better, but this is like peak Big Bill. Like, this is the idealized version of him, I think, in terms of in-ring performance. He just looks Mm -hmm. super confident. He is 100% on board with the character he's doing. He's working great. He sells great for a big guy. Um, He's just awesome. Like, he really is. Uh, I am... I I think he's been amazing, and uh, I know that he's been improving ever since that impact run that really restarted his career. Uh, but you know, that's the only reason I'm hesitating on thinking about him as like the most improved award winner. Uh, cause he rules, uh, this tag team has been a rele- revelation, uh, with Brian Cage. Um, I think Brian Cage has been helped out by it a lot. I think it's given them some nice direction. And at this point, why not just put them in the, you know, the embassy, you know, uh, the mogul embassy, you know, and you can bring over Lee Moriarty too. It's a heel group. They can always use, you know, lack young lackey like Lee. And, but yeah, I mean, Bill was awesome in this match and uh, he just looked extremely at ease in the ring. And that's always cool to see. It was great. Yeah. Like, and Brian Cage is obviously doing 80 server sting, like kind of cosplay. That the yeah. similar paint, and then he's got Cage written yeah, on his tights with like a scorpion, and then he's got the yeah. the Wolverine slash on the other side of the tr- the pants. Your and, pre-show comparison of him to Power Warrior was perfect. I thought yes, I, I it just reminds me so much of Power Warrior in New Japan, and I, I'll say this, and I've said it here before: Big Bill needs to be utilized like. Big Show was for Paul Heyman in like 2004 SmackDown. Final boss, be that guy, and like he, I, I think you can credit a lot of John Cena's success to that Big Show feud, where he ended up winning the title at WrestleMania 20, the U.S. title, and that really got him through the next year, and then he won the WWE title from JBL, and he was off to the races. I think having a guy like Big Bill in that spot, especially with Big Bill's history, like he he was not a good wrestler in WWE. And then Impact, he really he really started to figure it out and he's had some uh, some battles with demons. But at the end of the day, he's improved. He's figured out how to work better and he's figured out how to work like a big man, which is not easy to do. 
working like a big man in a small man's game now. Like, we're not talking Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are the norm. We're to, like, the norm is Kenny Omega, 220 pounds. That, like, if you put Eddie Guerrero into today's professional wrestling, he would fit in perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the average size of the worker has definitely uh, decreased since the 80s. Uh, some of that is because people aren't like made up of 30% steroids, which is good mm-hmm. for their health. Um, and but you know, there's obviously guys using stuff, and you know, there's that's a whole discussion I should have another day. Uh, because you know, there's people that we're talking about in this match that I wonder about. Um, but you know, it's 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 Big Bill is the right size to look like a monster in this company, uh, and he's able to work with people. And I thought he worked really well with FTR in this match. And um, I don't know. I just thought this was awesome all around. Uh, just a really good time. I went four and a quarter on it. I do believe. And, yeah, I went uh, four and a half. This was yeah. This was great. They really need to be a full-time tag team or, as you mentioned, them joining the Mogul Embassy. And then you put Lee Moriarty in there, and then you have your trio. Well, you already got the Gates of Agony. But, yeah, I mean, you could just, I mean, go full Freebird rules, you know. Yeah, like this this team needs to be a permanent fixture in all elite wrestling. It really does. And I think we were proven right, again, as we usually are, Fred. This team rules. It is it's a lot of fun um also fun in this match and and i know we're praising them in a match they just had with uh, ftr which is kind of like you know that's easy mode i could have Uh, a match with ftr yeah but they've had other good matches you know involving lesser workers so let's not you know pretend that they aren't capable at a minimum uh but another fun thing in this match that made me laugh was um cash wheeler's mother no selling his getting his ass kicked by Big Bill right in front of her. And then later after the match, um, Cash comes over to hug her. She doesn't want to because he's sweaty as hell. And so he just rubs his head on her. Fantastic son trolling and fantastic mom not working with kayfabe. Uh, good, just, it, you know, funny stuff around. Yeah, it's it, it was just a perfect spot. And yes. I... I I've so I've got collision on right now and action Andretti Darius Martin and big shoddy Lee Johnson just walking in the ring. You have House of Black just staring at him. Brody King, tattoos and baby oil. Malachi Black, tattoos and baby oil. Buddy Matthews, clean as a sheet. Just yeah. a hilarious dichotomy trio. Because yeah. the, like Buddy just he doesn't seem to fit in, but he just does. It's oh yeah, he does. Yeah, it's it, it's just great stuff, and uh, and then you have uh, little Miss Julia Hart, just the cute little vixen on the side. And it's like this band from either. Ringside. <laughs> just it's it's awesome stuff. I love it, and like like Big Bill and Brian Cage need to be a permanent fixture. They do. Yeah. Please, Tony Khan, make it happen for me. Dude, just do it for me. It, you don't need to do it for anybody else. Do it for me. Where I'm do we on board. want to go here, Fred? Uh, let's talk about a uh, collision some more. You know that we have that excellent, uh, excellent match, and then FTR doing the promo to set up the Bucks match. I think we should. Uh, we've already kind of talked about the build to uh, all in. So mm-hmm. uh, I do want to put over 
the shtick with the cardboard cutout Jay White. Oh, that's so good. It's great. Um, I think that they're uh, speaking of acts that are at ease with what they are and like are 100% on board and confident. That's full of club gold right now in particular. I think they're helping the guns out too. I still don't know what to make of the guns as prospects. Like I know that they are natural heels and everything, but uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've always been underwhelmed by them as workers and, uh, you know, so because of that, I'm a little iffy on their future, but they definitely feel like they fit in well with these guys. And maybe they're going to learn how to better utilize their uh, promoing. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm, I don't know what to make of Bullet Club Gold. I will say I bought a Bullet Club Gold T-shirt and I love it. But. I, I don't know what to make of them. Like, what what are we doing? What is what's what the are we building goal? to? Yeah, I yeah. think that's a good question with them because Jay White is too talented to just be like in a mid card tag team. Yes, and he's absolutely kind of, too talented. It kind of feels like that's where he's slotted, and the guy is good enough where he should be like a. Like, you know, I have no problem with them teaming sometimes with Juice Robinson. I think that's a great team and very entertaining and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But it should, the structure should be Jay White is the main eventer. Juice Robinson is the capable mid-carter. And the guns are kind of in that lackey slot. You know, maybe they're a little more competent than outright, like, Stooges or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, like, Jay White should be, if not in the immediate, like, main event mix. Like, you know, like, upper mid-card, you know position you know like the you know at least the top five heel in the company and it doesn't feel like he's that right now yeah i understand and this is one of those hindrances with tony khan's booking on a long-term level if he doesn't have anything for you he just doesn't book you and we've seen it with miro we've seen it with pack lance archer yeah maybe just don't book him because it doesn't feel like he has anything planned for him. And to me, I think that's the most frustrating part. You got this coup mm-hmm. and in getting Jay White from New Japan, and you're not even using him. Yeah, Jay White, who is 30. <laughs> um, he, he doesn't even turn 31 until later this year. I mean, it, it's it's wild. Yeah, you know, I I know that we've talked about it some, and I know that Joe Lance at some point on one of his shows had a fantastic rant about it, but you bring this guy in who is this young superstar from Japan, like a legit main eventer who's beaten Okada, who is positioned as, if not like outright on the level of Okada, because, you know, he's he's basically their uh, top baby face and like kind of at another echelon. Mm -hmm. He's positioned like a... uh, the next step down, like a, you know, instead of an A-plus player or S-tier, whichever you prefer, he's an A-tier guy, which is a great spot mm-hmm. to be in. And then he comes over to um, to AEW, and he's positioned as, like, B-tier at best, you know, and you could really argue he's been more of a C-tier guy. And his most notable work has been putting over CM Punk, which, hey, CM Punk is an absolute main eventer. I get it. Um, but it was like a short feud, like lasted three weeks. And um, I don't know, man, it's, it's kind of weird and I don't get it. I don't know. Like 
how you bring this guy in and don't at least sell it like it's the biggest signing in the world. Yeah, it it's is. It's, it's, it's always going to be weird to me. It, it was a huge deal because he was one of the biggest free agents and we knew that uh, WWE threw some money at him. And mm-hmm. as they freaking should, it's Jay White. Jay White is a talented individual. He is one of the best talkers in the business, as you kind of alluded to. And his best fit is arguably on American television wrestling. So now you have him on American television wrestling and you're using him like this. I I genuinely just don't understand what the idea is. And you know what? The one thing Tony Khan has always done is he has us in a position where we need to trust the vision and we need to see it out. There have been times where he's freaking wrong, but a lot of times he's right. Like, well, no, they should have done this or they should have done that. And you know what? He times things really well, more often than not. And we talked about it, and we'll end up having this conversation a little bit. Like Jack Perry, was that, did he turn on Hook too quickly? That's, you know, I I don't think that he did. Um, You know, you could definitely argue that they could have stretched that out some more. But I think that it's going to end up with Hook versus Perry on one of the two pay-per-views coming up. Uh, Maybe not necessarily Wembley, but the all-out. Um. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, there, you know, we've talked about it for a while. I do think that Tony Khan is one of the best bookers going today. Uh, but at the same time, he has some weird flaws, and it's kind of frustrating. And this is a good example of that. Yeah, I, I think that is a really good example, and we'll kind of see how like moving forward things end up working here but i'm very disappointed so far with what this is and we'll see i I think that's really the best way to phrase it we'll see um let i alluded to it earlier with jack perry let's talk about jack perry and this whole ecw thing okay i don't the end game is but i'll say this they use rob van dam perfectly they did they brought they had a reason to bring him in, FTW title, and they had a a brief like story where it's like, oh, I've retired titles before. Okay, great. I'm going to retire this one. Perfect. You have the basis of a, a simple pro wrestling story. And then they went out and had a borderline four-star match. They worked Whoa. incredibly hard. Whoa. They okay. Did. Woo. Okay. L- listen. Woo. Feeling yourself, buddy, with that. Wow. I, I didn't. I'm not giving okay. it four stars. Okay. Like th- a borderline four star. Like I think three and three quarters isn't unfair here, and the one of the reasons I'm giving it three and three quarters Woo. straight up, the, the work is not worth three and three quarters. But you know what is worth? Like the storyline in the tone of the match the hard work like it wasn't crisp it was ugly it was it felt like ecw a little bit because you had the weapon spots and you had the way they kind of built everything up i thought it was just for what it was it was perfect and you could probably do it better but look this was exactly what it should have been and i loved it 
Okay, I mean, it's look, you know, everyone's ratings is their own. I, I just think that, you know, three and three quarters is spicy on this. I thought it was, you know, I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. But it also, like, I don't know, when it comes to star rating matches, you know, that's not something that I would even remotely have close to anything that positive. I went two and three quarters on it. I thought that it was, you know, with two as my benchmark for average. And I thought it was a pretty well above average match, you know, uh, enjoyable, but, you know, sloppy. And uh, Rob Van Dam is what he is at this point, which is, wow, I can't believe Rob Van Dam can still do that stuff at this age. Um, and, uh, you know. I think what's really important here, Fred, maybe the difference between how I view it and how you view it. It it wasn't a strategic, like, oh, we're going to tell this really good pro wrestling story. It's, hey, Jack Perry, you're a dick. You don't deserve this title, so I'm going to win it from you, and then I'm going to retire it. And we're going to do it FTW rules, which is basically ECW. And they had that kind of match. And I thought it was good. Yeah. Now, am I ever going to rewatch it? No. But it was just a good, solid match that got the story across for what it needed to be. And I thought, yeah, I mean, that, that's I thought why it was I enjoyable. That's rated so highly. Yeah. And that's that's the really tough thing with star ratings because this three and three quarters is gonna be a lot different than like a three and three quarter lucha match that you see in CMLL. It's gonna be a lot different than sure. oh a title match that gets three and three quarters. But I thought this was a very good match. Okay, that's fair. Like I'm very curious to see where this goes from here. I doubt it. But do we get Taz at all? I can't imagine. Now, what I I can't imagine Taz wrestling a match. It just seems like that's not going to happen. He is not physically capable of that. Uh, now, if that's incorrect, you know, obviously it'd be awesome to have Taz come out. Um, what I think will happen is uh, we'll have, you know, whenever they do do the blow off here, uh, they'll have Taz accompany Hook to the ring. And uh, maybe Hook will have the towel, you know, full-blown Taz entrance. Who knows? Uh, or maybe they'll just insist on having Hook be his own guy, which is also good and arguably better. Um, but, I, you know, I could see him, like, you know, doing something to play a key role in the finish and helping his son win in a babyface way, and that would work. It just feels like Taz is going to be involved somehow because they've utilized him, Fred, throughout the context of what this story has been. When Hook got turned on, he basically stormed off of commentary desk, and it felt like he was going to leave commentary anyways Mm -hmm. because Tony Schiavone came in, but they built it so well, and how he's called these matches and how he's stayed relatively professional, but he's still absolutely livid about his son Hook getting screwed it gives me – I don't know if he's going to wrestle an actual match, and I probably agree with you, he won't. I think there's more meat on the bone with Taz because this is Taz's belt. He created the Fuck the World title. And I, I feel like you can do more, but I don't know how to get there without doing stupid ECW nostalgia for the 9 millionth time. So far, the ECW stuff has been – Fine, acceptable, mm-hmm. and good. Except for the Jerry Lindham promo off. 
Whatever, I can live with the Jerry Lynn promo. Okay, but it, I'm, I'm just saying it wasn't good. I'm not saying it was a disaster, but it wasn't good. That's my take. the The concept was fine. And I'm getting I, my and shit in here. All right. Yeah, you're getting your shit in, and it sucks, Fred. Uh, How dare you? I, the The Jerry Lynn promo was fine. Like the, the construct, the concept. The yeah, fact it, it, it set up something, and fun. that was fun. Yeah, and will it will it do anything more? Eh. I don't know, but oh my god, Christian Cage has a little girl with him in a promo. Okay, you haven't kid? got to wa- that is his daughter. You haven't got to watch this yet, which is unfortunate. I will. This is one of the highlights from Collision, which was definitely the better show this week. Um, uh, he has his daughter there. Um, he says that he, as the TNT champion, he's a role model to children everywhere. And then Christian's daughter asks for the belt. So and Christian tells her, "No, you didn't win the belt, so you can't have it. Go find your mother." And then immediately after his daughter walks off, he shouts for security and tells them to eject her because she's not credentialed. Christian Cage rules. He is fantastic. Just the, one of the all-time best on the mic. And uh, like I, I hate how he's, you know, he's been kind of underutilized for the vast majority of his career. And I really do wish that there, you know, I wonder what like a sliding door situation where there's a viable promotion where he didn't work for a guy that uh, thought he should have a dot over his face for basically the first 15 years of his career. Um, but that, That's that one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was a fantastic segment. He's great. <laughs> Did you win this belt? No, go find your mother. Yes. Bitch, you didn't win it either. That's exactly. <laughs> Christian is He's one great. of the best things about um, television. Like, oh, and, he's, he's. Oh my gosh. Uh, and Jay White's coming out, and they have the cardboard cutout of Jay White. What? <laughs> the bits are good. The, the bits are scientifically good. <laughs> um,. I want to talk about Dynamite as a whole. Um, I thought this was a very underwhelming show in general. There were, you know, I thought the the work on the matches was disappointing. Um, And uh, I thought that really let the show down as a whole. Uh, You know, I can't really bury the RVD match. Like, that's about as good as that's going to be. We already have that discussion. Uh, The Hardys, man. The Hardys are donezo. Like, I just can't imagine them getting a major push. But, they're, you know, Matt Hardy talked about how right before Jeff Hardy's DUI, you know, the plan was for them to win the World Tag Team Championships. And that was obviously what the booking was leading to. Uh, but they just cannot move. Like, it's it's bad. Like, Matt Hardy, you know, can't walk well. And Jeff Hardy just, he's doing shoot. Pity on Kip Sabian, you know, I, we kind of buried him early on for, you know, not being a great worker and all that, but pity on him for taking a sh- like that dreadful shoot swanton, the most dangerous move in wrestling from Jeff Hardy, where it's just like 200 pounds of potatoes fall on you from the sky. It looks like it sucks so much and he doesn't do anything to mitigate the hit and uh, it's awful. Um, so credit to Kip Sabian for not shattering into a zillion pieces. But yeah, I thought this, this Hardy's young books match was 
not good. Or well, okay, look, it wasn't below average. It was it could have been worse. I've seen worse. Um I went two and three quarters on it. Uh I thought it was, you know, like above average, but in terms of a, a young bucks straight tag match that gets about fifteen minutes on TV, that's a failure, you know. Uh it's saying something when Jeff Hardy is probably a better worker than you at this stage in his I'm sorry, Jeff Jarrett is a better worker than you at this stage in your career versus the Hardys. Um, yeah, it, it's... I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. Honestly, I thought the match was somewhat inoffensive. Yeah, it was structured um, well. Obviously. That that wasn't saving grace. There was no massive botches or anything. But it wasn't the, good. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. It was yeah. It was fine. I think that's the best way to put it. It was fine. There was nothing really wrong with it. It kind of just existed. And I think that's important here. It it existed. And that's like that's what you're going to get out of the Hardys. They're they're not yeah. good. I gave this a gentleman's 3. It was it was fine. They they didn't blow anything. You got a couple cool Hardy spots. You got that Swanton in the corner that felt like it could be the finish and it wasn't. Like the whole thing was that's probably the best you're getting from this yeah, team. Yeah, this, this iteration of the Hardys, yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, I just don't know what to do with them as a booker. You know, that's the great question because I'm sure they're on big money deals. They're big nostalgia names, and they just can't go. And, like, especially in the modern AEW style, like, it's just tough, man. It's difficult. It is difficult, and it would have been great if we would have been able to get them four years ago because then mm-hmm. I think we could have really had a tag title run, and it makes sense and not be embarrassing. And But now it's – I can't envision it. Like, it's just not the right thing at the right time. Wow. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was the dichotomy between the uh, MJF and Adam Cole segments we had All on right. this show. Um, Let's so we had the pre-tape first, right? With them going to the the trampoline thing and uh, basically a repeat of the video game segment uh, in a lot of ways. Only instead, it gets you get MJF pelting kids with dodgeballs, you know. And obviously, it worked it, but still, it's you know. I thought that part was kind of funny, but at the same time, compare that. You know, I thought a lot of it was cringe. Uh, Adam Cole acting like a literal child and, uh, you know, just kind of going back to the well for the same kind of thing. And then you have the live promo in front of the crowd, and that was a fantastic segment. These two, I think, obviously work a lot better when they're working with the crowd, when they're working live, when it's not with these, you know, very cringily silly, uh, you know, setups to uh you know to lead into the segments or to do these pre-tape segments i should say uh and it's just kind of ugh it, it sucks i don't like it um 
And I just wish that they would stick to these live promos that work so well that really show off their skills and work with the crowd and everything. I think there are utter successes when they're over there live with microphones. And um, instead of doing these, what I think are bad pre-tapes. I will say the absolute best part about that pre-tape was MJF, like, chucking dodgeballs at the kids and then the one kid's like aren't, aren't you guys too old to be here and then he just tells her like, yeah look like this is it's it's a weird one because like it's it's kind of borderline child abuse but it's also not because they're it's it's dodgeball but it, yeah I, I don't know if i'll put this on tv like, I understand why they're doing these because these are, I think these are moving ratings. And obviously, um, WWE is having success with these. Like, mm-hmm. but why? Why are we putting these on AEW television, especially with MJF throwing, like, as funny as it was at parts, whipping dodgeballs at children? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? You know, I mean, I can't disagree with you um i do think there's some humor in it uh because it's obviously so absurd and over the top that it's not like literally arguing that this is good behavior um you know i can't really but but i do think the segment overall was pretty cringe at the same time so you know there that's my take on it i guess you know i feel like i I don't have a real good follow-up on it. It's like, this is what I think happened. And uh, they keep doing it, and I guess it works, but I don't like it, you know? Yeah. It it is what it is. And let's transition from the shitty pre-tape to the actual live promo, Fred. Yeah. The live promo itself is good. Probably the best thing on the show, wouldn't you agree? One of them, I liked the the um, BCC Lucha Brothers tag, and we'll get to that after this because I think what that is is important here. Yeah. Um, but it was good, and it the one thing I really like about the story is one, these guys are both so over with the crowd. Two, it's planting little seeds here and there you don't know where this is going and it's making it more engaging. Mm-hmm. You had them talk like Adam Cole talking about the ROH world tag team champions. And then you had him talking about, Hey, let's go for these belts right before. And planting hints like, okay, why are you going to wrestle twice in one night when you don't have to? Yeah. And that sends up a lot of red flags that tells me a turn could happen on the pre-show. Oh, it's. And then, I mean, I would bet you money that it does. I, I'm on the like 98% certain. Then you had Roderick Strong come out and talk shit. And then the kingdom. Was Roddy ever in the kingdom? The boy, I was not watching Ring of Honor at that time. Uh, but let me check it real See, quick. Neither was I, but I got, I had the this inkling that he was in the kingdom. And that's no, it why doesn't look like he was. 
no, okay. I guess not. All right. So he's obviously the Adam Cole. I believe he formed the kingdom back in the yeah. day. Yes, he did. And the, the kingdom is still going on with Matt Taven. And I think that's fine. And I, I like how that it's kind of included here. But will will it like how's this gonna matter? Is Adam gonna turn and reform the kingdom like in its old glory? How how does that make a a difference for the elite? Mm-hmm. Because obviously you have the super click. He's kind of distanced himself from the elite over the past few weeks just because of obviously I mean, the elite Blackpool Combat Club, Adam Cole. He was even they haven't even like connected the two really since his return outside of like a BTE bit, I think. Yeah, uh, well, they did like a Halloween show, and where they they all dressed up as Ghostbusters. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Is it? And then you had at Full Gear, you had that uh, that six way um, false count anywhere match with uh, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. That was that was a lot better live than it was mm-hmm. on TV because it was so chaotic. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was really cool. Um, and Ricky Steamboat hugging Jim Ross. That, that's a cool little touch. Yeah, that was a nice little thing. Jim Ross used to call Ricky's matches and Jim Crockett back in the day. Like, cool stuff, cool stuff. Um, but I, I just wonder how this is all going to kind of link together. And... Roddy makes things really interesting because, look, Roddy's never going to be a push commodity, and it sucks. He should be a pushed commodity, but unfortunately, he's now about forty, mm. and I, he, I just think the time has passed. But you can use him, I think, like as a workhorse in like a unit, and in in a formation of the kingdom, I think that would work out really well. Yeah, as, but, a, as a as a good goon kind of guy. Yes. I, I, I really think so. This worked, but I think what was really intriguing to me was Adam Cole put his finger in MJF's chest and that planted even more seeds. And, and they ended up kind of, after like about a minute, kind of getting in a position where they were fine. But I don't, I don't know where this is going, but the in-ring promo stuff when they're in-ring together has been great. Just keep doing that. Ignore the rest. Yeah. Um. I but yeah, I thought I think they've done a re- great job of setting up what could potentially potentially be a great driver for pay per view buys uh, by having this MJF Cole tag team match on the pre show, where I presume that Adam Cole will turn on MJF and you know use this opportunity to soften him up for the World Championship match later that night. Um, I think that they have to do that versus like teasing it and then not delivering. Uh, I think that it will be much more effective if we get Adam Cole going full heel and um, you know the last few minutes of the pre-show where people are encouraged to buy it uh, by the pay-per-view. It consists of him just beating the hell out of MJF and going full heel, and in turn MJF being a full-blown babyface. I really hope so. I want to see MJF as a babyface. I don't know if you 
have him as a babyface champion. And I want I I would almost say take the title off of him at Yeah, I think Cole Flynn. is champion here works well. Um, I will add, um, well, yeah, I think that's about all I got to say on that, but I, I hope they do this right because I will, I will again repeat my prediction that if they book this correctly, they could legitimately make MJF the biggest star in wrestling. And you could argue he already is, but I would probably give that to Will Ospreay. You can say whatever you want about WWE and Roman Reigns. Look, its own fan base is turning on the bloodline right now. And it's... That's tough. It's it's hard. It's especially hard with WWE to understand who's actually a star at this point. Because WWE sells tickets because mm-hmm. they're WWE, not because the product is great. Now, the Bloodline has been moving a lot of tickets, and that's in our year. Mm-hmm. But yes. like is any are any of those guys truly a star? Or is the story a star? And I think that's a fun discussion that we could have at another time because this is an AEW podcast. Yeah. We should get to this um, Blackpool Combat Club and Lucha Brothers match because, one, this match was very, very good. But they botched the finish again because of production. Not only did they not get Moxley ripping off Pentagon Jr.'s mask. Yeah. They, the camera shot had his face exposed. Yep. Like, look, I understand this isn't a a new like a a lucha company, but come on, we are better than this. Well, and, and we the worst so part was that better. it was shown pretty clearly. I mean, granted, he had makeup on and everything, so it's not that devastating. Uh, but he was shown pretty clearly in the replay. And you know what? Live, okay, I can give you a little bit of a break. You show it in a replay. That, That's no excuse. ridiculous. That's bad. Like, very frustrating. But what what I'm really intrigued by is it felt like with the post-match beatdown, they were setting up for a third guy. They were setting up for somebody to come out. And it, it didn't. To, me, a seed was, to me, a seed was planted that there's going to be somebody else. I don't know who that somebody else could be that is closely aligned with them because obviously you have Death Triangle. Uh, but their time in Mexico, I don't really know who they're very close with. Obviously, Laredo Kid. Yeah, Laredo Kid is someone that they usually are affiliated with, I think. Um, they could always go with Commander, who's been affiliated with them to some extent, or uh, or Vikingo. Do, do any of those guys make sense for what this feud is, though? That, that that that's where I'm having the difficulty here, Fred. I mean, I don't even know. I don't really know for sure if the BCC feud is Lucha Bros or if it's just them getting one over on them on their way to something bigger for the pay per view. Uh, which I assume will. I I frankly assume that it'll be BCC against. You know the long the rumor that's been going around for a couple of weeks is you know some formulation of BCC versus Orange Cassidy and Eddie Kingston possibly with a third guy on the babyface side. We'll see if that happens. Um, no idea, <laughs> frankly. But yeah, the the Eddie Eddie Kingston one is interesting. I'm very intrigued to see how he ends up coming back, who he aligns with. 
and how he figures it out. Cause obviously he still hates Claudio, but he and, right. he and Mox um, have this very long, complicated history. How does that end up working? And I think progressing forward, that's going to be a really big telltale sign of how this, how this three-way feud is going to go. Best friends. I think we've gotten the most out of best friends with this feud. So like right now, yeah. but it feels like, Blackpool Combat Club is almost in a stalling point until we get Brian Danielson back, and then I think we're really going to get some fireworks. Yeah, I look. I, I like best friends as workers, uh, but you know they're obviously mid carders. Even though I think you know Trent is one of those guys that's talented enough to be higher up the card. You know, it's that's what he is. He's a mid carder. Um, I think that it definitely be a disappointment if they set up this, you know, trios match with the mystery babyface partner, and that mystery partner is Trent or Chuck. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Well, it's, that's not a special surprise at all. So, I feel like if they do go the route of it being a mystery partner, now this is like conjecture on top of conjecture, so we'll see. Uh, they have to pull someone a bigger deal than that. I'm going to float someone, just popped in my head right now, and I do wonder... You know, it's a possibility, I reckon. I wonder if they go with Shibata. He's Ooh. had issues with uh, around the pure title with Yuta. Um, you know, maybe. I don't know. That's a guy that could make sense. I could see it. Um, I don't know what Mark Briscoe's injury is, but that's possible. I think he's Because still of out. Claudio. Yeah. I, I think so, too, but... We're spitballing here. How this continues to evolve, and this is why, as much as we criticize Tony Khan and his booking, you have to let things play out because he has he usually finds a way to make it work. And yeah. we're just going to have to believe that he can make this work. Yeah, um, and, and their stuff works financially. It's not like he's putting out these great shows that 18 people buy. Like, you know, the pay-per-views are financial successes. Uh, I'm very interested. This is a conversation we'll definitely have more later on. Uh, I'm very curious as to how All Out works as a pay-per-view, given its proximity to All In and the fact they aren't doing, apparently, uh, any kind of package deals. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about uh, worth your time here, your friend. Okay. The Jericho Appreciation Society meeting. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. We have to talk about this. Yes, we do. Uh, very interesting. Jericho barely said anything. And yeah. it kind of went around basically everybody just burying him under the sun and calling him a selfish fuck. And I thought the best... The best promos were Daniel Garcia, who basically is like, I gave, I changed who I was for you. And then he gets in his face, does his little dance, and basically flicks him off and leaves. I thought that was tremendous. I thought yeah. it was very well executed, very well done. 2.0's promos were great. I even thought Hager's was decent. Like, look, Hager can't talk, but for what he is, who he is and the background that they have together, I thought the promo was just fine. It it got to where it needed to go. And he got a pop for the hat, which I'm a sucker for the hat. Yeah. 
I I was surprised that they broke Hager off. Uh, I thought that they might have kept him around as like the one true stalwart, but you know it makes sense within the storyline. So, yeah. What what's really intriguing is how, uh, we're going to get an answer next week for if he's going to join the Don Callis family. Is this going to set up something with Kenny Omega? Because Kenny was interviewed by Alex Marvez later on in the episode. Like, hey, are like, what are you doing for All In? He's like, I don't know. I'm having a conversation with JR about it next week. Do we get him and Takeshita versus o- Omega and Abushi? Because Abushi is the only person that Omega is really aligned with in AEW canon. That's yeah. not doing anything. Well, Adam Page. Ah, yes, good old Hangman. That yeah. I, I forget about Hangman because he's barely on television anymore. He's got he's, he's got picked up that MJF up. schedule. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Bad for me as a viewer. Good for him. Yeah, um, with the new kid and everything, I get it. So, yeah, it's this Jericho Appreciation Society thing is very odd as well because you have all these guys who were sports entertainers and. We were supposed to hate them because they're sports entertainers, but now they're doing yeah. a face turn as sports entertainers, and we're supposed to Question cheer for mark. them. I'm not like, sure that they're turning face, or if Jericho's turning face, or if they're all turning face. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, I, I think that that aspect of it is going to be a big question mark that isn't resolved yet, and won't be for another week or two, I think, you know, maybe it'll be resolved next week when Jericho goes out and announces if he's joining the Callus family or not. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, that's, that's the part I think is kind of what it's hung up on, you know, waiting on, I guess. Yeah. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. Overall, this is, I want to see Garcia go back to just being a wrestler because he's gotten over as a personality and he's yeah. a technical wizard. And at Voice of Wrestling, we are doing, and I'm, I believe this project will be completed next week. A let's talk about 30. yeah, let's talk about this ESPN thirty under thirty list, which was an absolute abomination. I haven't even looked at it. Oh my god, I'm I'm pulling it up. Okay, I am also pulling it up. Okay. Well, it's, okay, it's, so I, I'm going to caveat here because there's some obvious limitations on it. First of all, they aren't going to, like, dive into all Japan or anything like that. Like, um, Well, they dove into New Japan. They dove into, like, Mexico a little bit. Like, yeah. But... Tomodic I mean, Mysterio have... at five. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they have... They have uh, Hayashi Shishida at 15. They had Julia at 11. So yeah. I mean, they're actually using like individuals from throughout the world. But kind of. Um, Kaito Kiyomiya is at 21. Saya Kamitani is at 22. Yoda Suji at 23. Uh, Masha Slamovich. She's only 25, huh? Yeah. All right. That's surprising. Tyler Bate is only 26 years old. That is so gross. Ugh, they've talked about misuse, man. Show to Umino at uh, 30. Um, the honorable mentions Atlantis Jr., Azumi, 
Um, Chris Statlander, Ren Narita, Mew Yamashita, uh, like Starlight Kid, Shun Skywalker. Like they, they actually, they. Yeah, they, they did better than I tried. thought. Now the top ten's all America-based guys, including Bakingo, because you know he's you know why he's up there, and it's not because of AAA. Hmm. All right, so but, let's go through this top ten, and we're we're going to absolutely obliterate the top ten. I I will give my top ten because I have already submitted my picks for this. I am still working uh, on mine. So, so one is MJF, two is Rhea Ripley. I don't really have an issue with those. I had Ripley lower on my list. Um, three, this is where it gets bad. Austin Theory. No. Yeah, he's not really... Uh, I, I He's going to be like... I, I'm leaning too far back on the mic. I apologize. Uh, he's going to be this generation's Mark Jindrak. That's just my vibe on him. Oh God, Mark Jindrak, best dropkick in the history of pro wrestling. Without that, without the dropkick, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just five. Dominic Mysterio. I mean, I don't know that I really need to say much. They have a Kingo four, just to yes, completeness. Kingo four, which is fine. Six, Braun Breaker. I didn't include him in my top thirty, but I get it. He's the son of Rick Steiner, and he's. Barely wrestled. Like, he's, what, wrestled, like, 30 matches in his career? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I I can understand that. Seven, Carmelo Hayes. He's not even the best wrestler in the act. That's Trick Williams. Uh, Eight, Kanosuke Takeshita. Sure. Nine, I can't believe she's this young. At 29 years old, Liv Morgan. One, no. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely not. She should not be in the spot. And Liv Morgan is a passable to good pro wrestler at times. She's not a future megastar. She's not, she doesn't have the super high potential. But two, she's only 29? Man, mm-hmm. WWE got her when she was like 21 then. 20, according to the article. Oh, I, see, here's the thing I'm not reading. Uh, <laughs> 10, I, uh, I had him lower, but I don't disagree. Logan Paul. That's yeah, fine. I think he's actually a viable guy. Um, I, I think that there's a couple questions with him that are unique to him, and that is he going to stick with wrestling, and uh, just how much is he going to do with it? But you know, he's he's. I can't complain about him. He's you know he's for what he is, which is you know for all this talk about how WWE is the company that does properly structured matches and everything, and doesn't do just high spots. He is a nothing but high spots worker. You know, let's not get twisted, but he's good at the style match. So, mm-hmm. all right, Fred, are you ready for my top 10? Hell yeah. Lay it on me. All right. So I did, I did, I did my top 30. Um, number one, MJF for chalk. Like, that's obvious. Yeah. Two, that's, I think you have to put MJF first, honestly. Uh, yeah. For a viable Two, Vikingo. Okay. All right. Three, Takeshita. Okay. Four, Julia. All right. Five, Shota Umino. That one might be a little bit of a surprise. Interesting. I'm, Interesting. 
I'm very bullish on Umino. And I'm at a point where I'm not blaming his split gimmick on him. I'm blaming that on New Japan, not wanting to go full-blown Tanahashi with him because it's not fair. And I think the Moxley thing is actually helping him. Like, it's... He's doing, like, two like two bits at once, but I think it's working. Um, and this G1, he was tremendous. So, like, that's, that's kind of where I'm at there. Uh, six... Daniel Garcia. Pretty chalk. Yeah. Garcia was like 29th on this list, which is an abomination. Seven. um, This is all pro wrestling Noah's fault, but I still think he's got great potential. Kaito Kimia. Noah has treated this guy like he's worse than garbage. (laughs) And he's great. To, to not even, like, secure him a spot in the G1 fi- uh, playoffs or whatever you want to call them, quarterfinals, uh, despite seeing him over is, that's important. <laughs> Truly terrible. Yeah. I will say, I thought New Japan booked him very well in this G1. Yeah. He drew against Umino. He drew against Suji. His wins were, I think it was both Hikuleo and Chase Owens, but he lost to Narita. He lost to Sonata, but he lost to Sonata with two seconds left. Yeah. Like, to me, I think that's something that's getting glossed over. He lost like two seconds. And then he, no, did he lose to Gabe Kid? I can't recall now. I think he did lose to Gabe Kid. I think he did. Yeah. No, 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 no. That was a, that was a double count out. Oh yeah, it was a double count. Yeah, they brought into the crowd and everything. Yeah, like I, I, I think objectively he was booked fine for an outsider. Mm-hmm. Like, should he have been booked better? Absolutely. But New Japan booking him like that, they still booked him relatively strong. He looked good in his yeah. losses. He tied against the two guys that you're going to push to the moon. They are basically telling you he's on their level. Yeah, they said he was on Sonata's level. They did. And no, they, they booked him well. The, the the failure is like Noah not even caring enough to like negotiate for him to be in the playoffs. And they could try to spin it or whatever. You know, I, for, uh, further discussion of, of Noah, did you see the screenshot they did when they uh, announced that uh, Yuma Anzai is, uh, is in the N1? Oh, yeah. Like the thumbnail they used? In case you didn't see it at home, uh, the little video they they did little videos hyping each guy in the tournament. Which, uh, yeah, cool, good. You know, you should do that. That makes sense, uh, especially when you're not that big in England and, uh, or I'm sorry, the English speaking world. Um, and uh, you know, you need to put your guys over. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No complaints. Their Yuma Anzai video, which again, as a reminder, is. A, an all Japan guy. That video just said the future of wrestling. He is the hope. I'm sorry, even even better. He is the hope of Japan. Just incredible. Yeah, that's that's rough, man. That's not great. No, it is not great. But let's continue my top ten because yeah. I have I have given you my top seven, eight, Dragon Lee. I can't believe that dude's not 30. Yeah, that's he's, he's, he's so one of those guys. 
that you're like it's like with Bandito where you can't believe he's not 30 yet either. Yeah. And excuse me. All right, number 9, Tony Storm, who I believe is the best w- women's wrestler in America today. But one spot behind her is Rhea Ripley. I was wrong. I did have her top 10. That's fair. Do I not and, have? I need to make sure I add Rhea Ripley to my list. I'm still working on it. So, like, I did have. Um, that's not a snub. That's just not me being fully done. If you've never had, if you've never seen her, Haya Shishida, um, she had that Utami Haya Shishida. Yeah, that five star match in 2021 against Shuri back in June. I think it was the date of that match. Um, she's ele- at 11. Tremendous yeah. per wrestler. She rolls. Uh, yeah, this is. It's a very fun list, and it's going to have a lot of different people on it for like across the board with VOW. Oh, yeah. And I, I can guarantee you one thing: there will be no mention of Dominic Mysterio. <laughs> I do wonder if someone's going to name him. Just, just I don't know as a meme or what. There's a possibility, but I, you know, I wouldn't completely rule it out. I, I'm going to give you a name that's still eligible for this list, which will make you think. Okay. Riho. Yeah, she's been wrestling since she was, what, 12? Yeah. It's crazy. She's still eligible for this. Yeah, that sounds that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, segwaying out of this, there is one more thing I want to talk about on Dynamite. Okay. And it's that main event match we had last night. And uh, I think this was supposed to be kind of a big statement match for Anna Jay. And uh, this was not it. Um, She's, you know, a hit or miss worker. And on this night, she missed a lot. Um, Add on to that, that she blew a couple spots. She generally looked like she was moving through like uh, Jello to work this match. And then the end where she gets pinned near the ropes, but Angelo Parker reaches into Anna Jay's hand, but nothing happens. It was really odd. And uh, I don't know what that was about, but I th- I thought this was super underwhelming because she did, is a good worker. Uh, I went two stars flat on this. Like it wasn't an utter disaster or anything, but it was not good. Uh, and I thought it was a kind of it was a super flat finish to what well, you know to an episode of Dynamite that could use a boost there. Yeah, I, I I I like the idea of giving people title matches and like and just having extra title matches on TV sometimes. But mm-hmm. yeah, look, Anna Jay's not ready for this. We've known she hasn't been ready for this for a couple years. Just man. No. Yeah, this wasn't it. Um, uh, just a really rough performance from her, and uh, it's kind of it's disappointing because she, you know, you think that she should be talent, you know, talented enough to do more. Uh, but this is what we got. So, what can you do? Nothing. Sometimes it'd be like that. Sometimes it'd be like that, and. Fred, that is our show. We yeah, are... that's it for the wrestling. Do you want to do a quiz before we go? I got a little football quiz to warm you up since uh, it's coming. All right, let's do it. 
Let's see uh, what your memory is of 15-year-old football because I want you to name the quarterbacks that Darrell Revis intercepted. I got this pulled up on the Sporkle. He picked off at least one guy every year from 2007 through 2016. Um, You have four minutes. I'll let you go wild for a little bit, and then if you start needing hints, I can give you the year and the team the quarterback played for. Okay. You, You with me? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, ready, set, go. Well, let's start here. Tom Brady. That was three. One. Matt Castle. That was two, so five now. Um, started for the Bills around then. Man, I, I don't know who... The Bills quarterback was at that time. Uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, got him three times later on. Yeah, eight of twenty-eight. Ben Roethlisberger. Can I spell Roethlisberger? It doesn't look like it can, or maybe he didn't get him. R O E. I got it. Uh, no, he did not pick off Roethlisberger. Joe Flacco. Uh, no. Andy Dalton. No. You want me to start giving you hints? Yeah, probably. All right. 2007, uh, Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins. 07 Dolphins. Jeez. Dante Culpepper? Nope. Cleo Lemon? Ooh, that's a blast from the past, but no. Um, who would have been the Dolphins starter in 07? You know, I used to be phenomenal at this, but yeah. like with the Immaculate Grid, my brain is just not quite there anymore. Um, 07, Bills. You want me to give you Lossman. some? Uh, Lotman? Lossman. Lossman, that's right. Sorry, I remember that guy now. Uh, that 2008, you got one of them. That's nine now. Here's uh, some more clues. Uh, 2008, there was a different Bills quarterback than Lawsman. There was also a Dolphins and a Cardinals QB. Carson Palmer. Uh, that's two. Did not get the Cardinals one, though, from 08. Kurt Warner. There you go. Twice, actually, on Kurt Warner, interestingly enough. Who was the other 08? Uh, Dolphins and Bills. Non Lozman's category. Chad Pennington. Uh, yes, for the Dolphins. Man, Bill's quarterback in that time frame. I'm blanking. I... All right, go, we'll go on to 09. You had the Raiders, Panthers, Bills, and Bucks in 09. Raiders, 09. Jamarcus Russell. There you go. One minute left. Still have the Panthers, Bills, and Bucks from that year. Bucks, 2009. I don't know. Panthers. Jake DeLholm. There you go. Twice, actually. Okay. Uh, 2010 Chargers, as well as 2011. Uh, Chargers is Philip Rivers. 
There you go. Uh, 2012 Bills, 2011 Cowboys and Dolphins. 2011 uh, Dolphins is probably Ryan Tannehill again. Nope, that one doesn't go. Okay. Uh, 2011 Cowboys is Tony Romo. Yep. Uh, 2015 Colts. Andrew Luck. Yep. Uh, 2015 uh, Washington football team. Got five seconds. Kirk Cousins. There you go. And 2016 Bills, time is up. Uh, You got the big names. You got 20 out of 28, which is above average at 71%. You missed Brian Fitzpatrick Fitzpatrick twice. That's Uh, the Bills quarterback. Fudge. Also for the Bills, the immortal Trent Edwards. Ah! This is some guy remembering right here. Uh, I think the most obscure one is for the 07 Dolphins, John Beck. Ah, BYU legend John Beck. I do not believe is a real person. Uh, 09 Buccaneers was Josh Freeman. Yep. Uh, 2011 Dolphins was Matt Moore. You got Fitzpatrick again for the 12 Bills. And then for the 2016 Buffalo Bills, which I barely got out, was Cardale Jones. No, Cardale Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Good job. That was some tough ones. Pretty happy with twenty. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. I think that's perfectly uh, acceptable. Yeah. There we go. That's the show. That's the show. You can follow me on Twitter at three hundred four. No, you can follow my Vikings work at USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with Vikings First and Skull, where we have our own podcast feed and YouTube channel. You can follow Fred on the Blue Sky. I am on there as well, and you can subscribe to his Patreon, which is paused currently, but will be coming back with a lot more interesting elements of uh, analytical views on wrestling. And you can also subscribe to our own podcast feed, which is now also available on the YouTube. So make sure you do all that. Help us grow. Help us continue to be the number one pro wrestling podcast in the country of Turkey. And we will be back next week to continue the build for all in. And hopefully um, despite all our rage, we still get Big Bill and Brian Cage. Have a great day. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.